Buckle up. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie. This week we are covering Disney's Corella. Oh, man. Uh, so we are going to be digging into Corella. Who is Corella as a villain? What's the precedent of this? 101 Dalmatians. It's uh, animated. It's a live action. It's a book. I can't wait. Here's a crazy tidbit. It's th- talking about these live action adaptations. The franchise has the most live action adaptations of any Disney animated film. So now there's three adaptations because it's the two Glenn Close in this one, which I think the Jungle wow. Book only has two. And the other ones only have one. That stands apart. And later on, we're going to uncover just how near and dear this property really is to Disney as a company. Yeah, I didn't know any of the history of that. Yeah, so I can't wait to get to that. Um, You know, getting into the the precedent of this is great, but I think really we got to start with the big conundrum of what in the world is this movie? (laughs) (laughs) And also Dalmatians, because they change kind of, you were saying before we recorded they're mean, <laughs> like evil. This is an origin story for Corella. So we're all from her early days. She has a uh, a mom who's needing to ask for help to get on their feet. Uh, and Corella uh, has been kicked out of school again. Uh, and this is the inciting incident. She's killed at this party, this big, huge, Victorian, beautiful party up on a hill. She's killed by some Dalmatians. <laughs> right, and, it, and it starts this, and it's the catalyst for this entire journey, as if Dalmatians were guard dogs. Right off the bat here, we can't really talk about, you know, much about this movie unless we get that out into the, <laughs> so, into the airwaves. Yeah. They centralize the the Dalmatians as the catalyst here. It's like, the, she Revenge. Corella's mom, because they are, they're used as guard dogs, and they're vicious. And immediately I'm like, this isn't the the precedent of the breed, is it? <laughs> right. Well, it's like I saw this thing that was like if Batman's parents were killed and then he wants to make a coat out of a robber or something. It's like <laughs> really weird. Right. Uh, vengeance that you have here. But I have a personal connection to this. So one of my side jobs every single weeknight I walk to Dalmatians for this older lady that lives in the neighborhood yeah. a couple houses down. And I always get tons of compliments walking them and they're just <laughs> sweet as can be. But uh, so talking about what Dalmatians actually are, the origin is from a Croatian province called Dalmatia, which is why they're called Dalmatians. Okay. And the original intent, they did a lot of different things, but got pigeonholed into guarding horses and carriages. Oh, Yeah. And so they are a little bit in the guard breed, but they are very aloof. They're very wary of strangers. They mostly have a kinship with horses. That's why they're featured with firemen, because old fire trucks were not trucks. They were carriages, and horses could be really spooked by fires. And so the Dalmatians would be all around them. They kind of like call the horses. It's yeah, not so much yeah. about like keeping the horses safe from like robbers with guns. And <laughs> right. It's like it's not – it's really the Dalmatian would – would just go along with it. Like, isn't that's part of the 101 Dalmatians is like, you can steal these dogs. <laughs> right. They don't really. And in modern times, it's like, they're a part of in the kennel club stuff. It's like they're with pugs and these other things that don't really have a defined purpose or we're not right later on bred for anything specific. They just kind of loaf around and they're, and again, they are wary of people and things, but not guarding and aggressive in that way. Every, of course, every dog is different. Every personality is different. But on the whole, 
you, they're not trained to kill people or <laughs> right. They're not in throwing people off the cliffs and they're like sick. You know, they're not a Rottweiler. And that's how I felt that this film was really portraying them was as this Rottweiler guard dog. It was bizarre. I'll just say also in, in terms of the confusing, like pure evil thing, just as a uh, point of remembrance from the original animated one talking about how Cruella is pure evil and kills puppies, she does not succeed in killing any puppies in 101. Like, she ostensibly has done nothing wrong, and also she outsources it all to henchmen. And all of, you know, like, so what does the book do different? Litigator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll see as we get to that. This film, though, interesting, directed by Craig Gillespie, who also directed... I Tanya, which yes. I had not seen, but it's, it's similar it's in the same movie, and 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 it makes total sense for me. And that's one thing I must say: hats off to Disney for that choice because that's an inspired choice. And you can you can see, okay, if we're going to talk about Tanya Harding, did she? Did she not? Is she bad? Per- what happened? We're talking about morality here. Sympathetic her, narrative, oh, awesome. yeah. Sympathetic narrative with the woman at the center talking about morality. Oh. Fantastic. Oh, this is probably why Corella is going to be a success because this guy is at the helm, period. Because I think what we're about to get into is that taking this character and putting it in this place as the centerpiece, much like a Joker or other films like that, where we're really Mm -hmm. deconstructing the villain, it's you have to change things. And at that cost, it, it often goes directly against what the character existed for in the first place. Yeah. Um, So one of the things they change has to do with the fact that she's an aspiring fashion designer, becomes a fashion designer. That's not in the original stuff or in the book, which we'll talk about. But that is a facet of the remake from 96 with Glenn Close, who actually is also an executive producer on Cruella. But that whole, she's a fashion designer, all of that stuff comes from the remake. And interestingly, the screenwriter for The Devil Wears Prada was hired to write an early draft of Cruella, and oh, she gosh. gets story credit on the film oh, with God. some other folks. But Aline Brosh McKenna, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> Why? I definitely, for a time, like in my mind, you know, I I, I melted Devil Wears Prada into the 101 <laughs> Dalmatians property, like entirely. Uh, right. Just, <laughs> so it wasn't until like I got, if I like I got like out of high school, and I oh that's a fi- I need to see Meryl Streep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually beautiful. So thanks for the validation. Yeah. You yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the and even that Cruella is in part the same writer. Yeah. Yeah. So oh she knows gosh. what what the story is. Oh, yeah. I'm not. I'm not crazy. crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's all it's all merged together. And one of the other things merged together, getting to the origins of this character, when she's being a maid in the film, I don't know exactly where that is, but there's a movie playing in the background, and it's called. No, that's a love. There's a lovely scene. I actually yeah. thought it was incredible. Um, so the the plot of this thing is. She is a low-time thief who's orphaned. Her mom died at this party. She's orphaned now. She's a low-time thief with some other kids who are on the street, and they just kind of make a living for themselves over the course of a decade and grow up. And so you're you're following her as they're pulling schemes. They've kind of got this ragtag crew together, and they're in a hotel, and they're just ripping off all the guests going in and out of the rooms as maid service and all that kind of stuff. And there's just a beautiful moment where she's, she sees – a billboard out the window for a, you know the baroness, the designer, all that kind of stuff. And she thinks about her mom. The, I think the uh, the voiceover comes in. She starts talking to her mom. You know, would you have wanted more for me in this life? And she actually stops what she's doing and kind of just sits down on the bed, looks out the window to the billboard. And then on the TV, 
Mm -hmm. there's an actress. It's black and white, old classic film. I don't know what it was. Well, I'm going to tell you here. Yes, I know. And and, and that's why I'm setting this up is it's it was a beautiful moment. She turns to the TV and I don't know what it was exactly. But you just Mm -hmm. get this. You get the the character replacement. There's the mom is now in the TV. They don't do any of that. You know, it's it's just this. It's just this old film. But now it's supposed to stand in for her mother and she's just just watching the tv for a moment just kind of just getting a moment to look at her mom is what i feel it's all nonverbal. it's very quiet it's actually one of the most like authentic moments of the movie right um but so what so, was it <laughs> so the movie is called lifeboat it's an alfred hitchcock film and the actress is tallulah bankhead and we'll get to her when we talk about the original movie, but her mannerisms, basically her as a person, her energy, her life inspired the look and voice acting and everything of what we know as Cruella DeVille. Really? So it's a direct oh, nod wow. to what the animators ripped from this particular woman's life, Tallulah oh, Bankhead. And so that's the why char- they put it in the, there. That's, I love that as the character sitting there. And that's what that represents. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> and who knows that's that? Even, you know? it's, yeah. Well, I mean, it's layered. It's beautiful. It's, you know, when you're in the as the audience, you're taking it in as you're thinking about your mom, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. But then it's even layered, textured into that as the character actually speaking to their influence. Like mm-hmm. it, it really it's authentic. Love stuff like that. Yeah. Let's get to the book and the author and where this originally comes from. Fascination with Dalmatians yeah. and murdering them and who Cruella actually is. Because this yeah, origin I, story, you know, now is that we're getting down to, as I think my entire my entire view of the character stems from the the re, the live action ones. So I I'm realizing, man, I don't know who the original character of Corella is at all. And God help us, there's a book even before the animated film. The author of the book, Dodie Smith, born 1896, lived until 1990. So she was 94 years old when she died. She saw it all, saw the successes. Wow. Didn't see Glenn Close, but got to experience it all. More known for plays. She has 11 plays and only nine books. She wrote her first play at the age of 10 and went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art for school. And the list of notable alumni on Wikipedia is insane. Alan Rickman, Cynthia Erivo, Anthony yeah. Hopkins, yeah. Vivian Lee, just anybody who's British who wow. is an actor of note went there. So that's where she went. Is mostly an actor afterwards. She was in a company that was traveling to entertain troops in France during World War I. So she started writing plays under male pseudonyms while she was working yeah. Yeah, at a furniture store. One of her plays blew up in 1935, ran for 509 performances, She made it uh, wealthy. She bought a cottage for herself (laughs) and actually married a friend who worked at the furniture store. And then he became her business manager after that. And they relocated to the USA because her husband was a conscientious objector to World War II. Mm. And so to avoid all of that. And that's where she wrote her first novel and then a few more. Their story is that this couple, they loved dogs and they kept Dalmatians as pets and at one point had nine Dalmatians in one house wow. together. So this is, she loves them, direct experience. Okay. And same go. thing in the original where they have 15 puppies. That happened with her huh. as well. And the first Dalmatian she ever had was named Pongo, who is the name of the original right. boy Dalmatian. 
in the animated one. So the idea for this novel, she has all these Dalmatians. One of her friends came over at some point and said those, you know, just offhandedly, oh, those would make a lovely fur coat. (laughs) She's like, oh, here we go. (laughs) What a weird (laughs) thing to say, but also interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. (laughs) So the book in 1956, it was originally serialized in Woman's Day magazine called The Great Dog Robbery. Oh, I like that. Like the great train run. Yeah, yeah. And the basic story <laughs> is pretty much the same. The dogs think they're the owners of humans. That's kind of a great bit from the original movie where, right. you know, it's the dogs narrating. It's a kid's movie. And same thing with the book. It's the dogs. Very good. Okay. But okay. it's weird because the dogs cool. don't talk in the remakes. Switch to all about the humans story with the with the Glenn Close one. Mm-hmm. So Cruella comes in in the book. She's an old friend from school, same premise, but she is equally as brash, but loves furs, but she is not a fashion designer. She married a furrier, a guy selling furs. And so she's all, she's a fur, she's a fur lady. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's her thing. She's not a designer. She's no, not no. into make, she's not into clothes. She's into fur. Specifically, man. yeah. And she makes her husband take her last name, which would be very contentious at the time. Oh, wow. She's always cold, which speaks to her hellish nature. So she that's why she wears furs all the time. Mm-hmm. And she forces him to keep all of his furs at home so she can wear them whenever she wants. But they haven't sold them all. You know, she's just in love with that. And mm-hmm. what's directly lifted from the source novel is basically everything. It's really just simplified. So they yeah. don't have two sets of adult Dalmatians. It's just one set. Right. You know, and... <laughs> too many dogs in this. <laughs> yeah. God, <laughs> it's too confusing. And there's, you know, one one maid... That's 104 Dalmatians. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> there's uh, one maid instead of two. Uh, they get rid of the Cruella's cat who helps them that she abuses. Yeah, yeah that all... Stuff, all that stuff goes cool, away. Yeah. So makes it a lot simpler. And then what's interesting is the hair coloring, the black and white crazy hair, comes yes. from illustrations in the novel. So oh. I couldn't – when I read, the, I read the novel, I don't remember them specifically describing her as such. But in the drawings, it's Havsey's black and white hair. So that's where that bit comes from. So it's not just laid out to them. She had stark white hair on one side. <laughs> yeah. Know, like. No, no, no. Yeah, she just wears really opulent clothes because of her rich husband. Yeah. Yeah, she's wearing green. She's hanging bells on what are what what did we take as what have we amassed into what we know as the character now? Mm-hmm. I'm just hearing, you know, here the the this is really interesting of, of, of how much this character seems like it's changed. And we've only begun. Right. And because it's a cartoon for the movie, they make her way more chaotic. You know, she's having dinner with them. She's not bursting into the room, flailing around like a crazy woman and then, so, you know, screaming her way out in her car. All that comes from the... Peeling out. <laughs> from the film. Um, Doing a burnout. Yeah, yeah. The name Cruella DeVille literally is like cruel devil. Right. <laughs> Which there's even a literary illusion, though, that I didn't realize. So oh, in, yeah. in the Bram Stoker's Dracula, the original novel from the 1890s, part of it is the fact that he is a vampire and he's trying to move from Transylvania to London. And the letter that he writes to purchase the house, he pretends to be a foreign nobleman and his fake name is Count Deville. So that's oh. the alias for Dracula in the original Dracula. Which that's fascinating. she pulled from. 
So she has a Dracula connection as well. Yeah. That's cool. But like we said, really, it's about the character performance and the eccentricities and the madness with which she dominates the scenes. Right. In the the, anime, you know, the the fashion designer, you know, the status gives her confidence and her Mm -hmm. reason for all of that instead of just like a writhing psychopath. (laughs) Right. As in the as in the original. Uh, (laughs) What's interesting, though, is uh, it almost never happened. You alluded to at the beginning because Disney was about to close it down before no, this film really. and I didn't know this history of it so here's the the talking yeah, about yeah this is what I've been waiting on from the animated side of things 1959 there was talk of closing down the entire animation department Disney really? was saying it's way too expensive they were focusing on the live action on the theme parks what has been I'm trying to get a sense of where this stands what's yeah. been made and what hasn't been made in terms of our classics so they know, just briefly. they just put out Sleeping Beauty they had okay. done Snow White, they had done Dumbo, they had done yeah. other ones in that time frame. But Sleeping Beauty, they, it just got more and more expensive. It was hugely yeah. ambitious, and they had tons of financial problems. And so they were just like, this isn't worth it. We cannot they, – they actually had 500 people inking all the individual cells. They had to They're, reduce that down to 100. These movies are works of art for beyond what we really can uh, describe. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so th- it'll be a long time that we'll be actually realizing, oh wow, these are exquisite in in ways we've never appreciated. So this, they're like, we can't do this anymore. Disney read the book in '57 and immediately obtained the rights. He loved it, and then Smith had hoped one My day, dog guy, I need yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> the author of the book had hoped. She always said, oh, I, I wondered if it would ever be a Disney film. Um, but here's some of the stuff of the production that saved it. Yeah. So a new technology, Xerox, was coming in Oh yeah. very early, though, transferring the drawings to the animation cell. So it's eliminating the inking. Well, they, lay, they got rid of 400 people, so you're going to have to figure out how can we now put all of this, paint every single thing on every single cell. Right. So the difference, though, and if you look at a trailer for the old film or watch the old one, it's more of like a black scratchy outline. It's not as crisp or pristine as hand painting it. And so Disney hated this and he looked down upon the art director up until right before his death because he was like, I don't like how these things look. They don't look crisp. They don't look fantasy, you know, that kind of thing. But it really helps. He'll carry it to his grave. (laughs) Yeah, but it really helps animate a bunch of spotted dogs because also not only can you just plaster on the backgrounds without having to paint them the black parts at least you can duplicate puppies in the animation so you can if you're having a hundred or a bunch of them 15 at least on the screen you can animate yeah. some of them and, and repeat the process in right. a singular frame and also i think part of the what he didn't like is it's the only the second disney film that takes place in their present day which is not fantastical at all. Dumbo was the first that happened in the 40s. But this is not a fairy tale. And then also, one of the few Disney features to have only three songs. It's not a musical type of thing. Most of the Disney features have four or more. And then the song is Cruella de Vil, which is 
diegetic to the thing because the guy's a musician. Okay, okay, okay. The only other two songs are the theme song for Canine Crunchies, which is the commercial they're wa- the, the Dalmatians are watching mm-hmm. on TV. And then Roger has a little ditty about a Dalmatian plantation at the very end, but it's only two lines of the song that he sings. So it's all diegetic. It's all situational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so that also dropped down, I think, some of the, the production efforts involved in it. The character, though, like we teased from that movie Lifeboat, Tallulah Bankhead was a stage actor and film actor, and she is very much like Cruella DeVille, unconventional, extravagant, extremely sexual for the time, which was very Mm. controversial. For example, on that film Lifeboat, there was a lot of going up and down ladders, and she refused to wear underwear and and was very uh, letting people know that as well (laughs) on the set. Uh, oh. She she chain smoked. She had tons of drug abuse problems. Had a husky mm. voice. Bisexual relationships. Open about that. So well, she's much like our Ma Rainey in uh, in other characters we've covered yeah. earlier this year. Then that's a- absolutely interesting. That's Forced really to be reckoned with. Dies early. I will post a link because her laugh is exactly Cruella Deville's laugh. Really, in the and anim- in, in, in the animated and the Glenn Close yeah. one, and probably this one. I can't do it justice but yeah 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 it is exactly oh, that cool. i'll post a, la- a compilation of her laughing in interviews and stuff and it's exactly that and then also she popularized saying darling like d-a-h-l-i-n-g oh, yeah it's simple darling like she said that all the time and that yeah. is all that cruella says so the voice actor for this betty lou gerson was the narrator for cinderella which seems weird that oh, she would then do this okay. crazy yeah. character. But she puts on sort of a phony theatrical voice. She was like, it's someone who set sail from New York but hasn't quite reached England. Okay. And they loved her for it. And then the last little voice thing that I thought was interesting, the dog barks were not actually dogs. Really? They were recorded by a guy, Clarence Nash, who did the voice of Donald Duck. Oh, cool. <laughs> so oh, that's, that's a little great. tidbit of just like – the, the Dalmatians in uh, this one are CG. The, the Dalmatians were also not real yeah. in, uh, yeah. in the that original. Was, was bizarre. <laughs> bizarre. I, I, for, for mostly, they mostly just ran in straight lines. I don't, I'm confused why they, I don't know. Well, yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody thought the money or the time was, was worth it. Speaking of money and time, so the old Disney version, the reason it got so big, reissued to cinemas once every decade after, which continued its popularity. So the 1991 reissue to theaters was the 28th highest grossing domestic release of 1991. Reading the returns back at Disney, we keep putting it out. (laughs) This will win Best Picture, baby. Well, that's why people wonder like, oh God, why are we doing an origin story for Cruella DeVille? And it's like, well, just look, they really, they've, it's already been out five times, more animated or more adaptations. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We keep watching it. (laughs) One of the things that they will probably never do, there is a bizarre sequel to the book Dodie Smith created called Starlight Barking. Because I loved the barking. Oh, the, you've got my interest. Yeah. As, a, as, a, as a kid, I loved the barking sequence where they have to do the chain of barking. You know, yeah. the twilight yeah. barking where they go all yeah. through. And much to the chagrin of my mother, who on the VHS, we would just... I just wanted to see that part so she would rewind it and then a minute and a half of dogs barking like mad and then I wanted her to rewind it and she was so gracious to allow Aww. that as a child. But <laughs> this this sequel 
insane to me. So dogs are there. One of the Dalmatians gets adopted by the prime minister. Everyone's doing great. And then this bizarre, almost like M. Night Shyamalan, the happening thing happens where everything that's living except for dogs just falls asleep and goes into a stasis completely. Whoa, she's going high concept with it? <laughs> she went real high concept. Whoa, dude, this is so, amazing. Somebody so then, make this movie. This well, yeah. is what I am talking about. Keep going, ruin so, so it the, for me. The, the dogs cannot be weakened. Also, they realize they don't get hungry. They're not thirsty. They also have telepathic powers, so the barking doesn't even matter anymore. They can communicate. They they have powers beyond that. They can open doors and operate machinery. It's so like in the time that this happens, which is only one night, they start like rechanging society, and the you know the dog is now the prime minister. <laughs> it was just crazy. Narrate the idea of of the narrator. Then take it becomes like self aware. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then dogs start reshaping reality in their image, and everybody's gone. And then just to <laughs> to add <laughs> to add icing on the cake, they start to realize they can fly. So <laughs> wherever you want to take that. There's a voice that speaks telepathically to all of them saying, be aware, look to the sky, be available at night, have access to the stars. And this is incredible. <laughs> Sirius, the lord of the dog star, which is a constellation, wants them to ascend to the heavens because of a inevitable nuclear war that's going to happen. Yes, and all of yes. the dogs will be forgotten. It's as if they will never have been there. Humans will not remember. They will not be missed. All of that stuff. Somebody the, has been listening to me at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> the dogs, however, choose the humans and agree to stay. And that's the end. And all is well. Man's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I think, so this comes out 11 years later. And this is in the height of the space race and the moon landings and oh start of the Cold War. You know, all that she stuff. So I think strategic that, with it. She's, she's very much. I can get in on this. I can get in on this. So the, the Disney will never position this property to get in on this market <laughs> as really high concept sci-fi multiverse psychedelic stuff. Um, that's that's what the people want. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Cruella is featured in that. They go make sure she's sleeping as well, and she is, <laughs> but she's angry. She's not happy sleeping. That's that's she's her angry cameo, and she's moved from dog coats to raincoats. She's all into like plastics and and you know, industrialized production. So that's I'm looking. Her. I'm looking here, and it seems, and maybe I'm skipping ahead, but right, it, right. it seems that there's another sequel to the original cartoon, which they made Direct decades to whatever. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's also <laughs> an ad, there's a, a TV show. Sequel in 2003. Yeah, yeah. I'm blown away. There's I'm a TV show in the 90s as well that's it lasted oh for a God. year. They definitely, with Glenn Close's thing, said, we yeah. got to get back on this. Yep. So yep. speaking of, of Glenn Close, let's talk about female villains, where that right. fits so, in and what they're doing here. So let's set up, I, you know, this film positions Corella as the apprentice of the top designer in London, the Baroness. Things unfold and we realize that the Baroness is the one who killed her mother. 
mm-hmm. and starts taking on this persona that she had as a child, the other side of her. Her name is Estella, but she had this dark side, the Corella, that she's been having to quell and calm down and be Estella and kind of fit into society. Well, she uses Corella as this alter ego to mm-hmm. get back at the Baroness. Then we find out that the Baroness is actually Cruella's mother. Mm-hmm. So it, you can see the turn of this. It keeps turning and it keeps turning. And it feel by the end of it, I felt like it was just chasing itself to make this fit. As, a, uh, as an origin story. As an origin story, because they have contorted this girl every way mm-hmm. that I could imagine for this type of story. And now we're now she's now it's Darth Vader and Luke, baby. Mm-hmm. I am your father, you know, like, and that's what they throw in for the third act. It plays. It's entertaining. I mean, I think the director has done an amazing job. It'll probably win some amazing awards for you know, costuming. <laughs> right, right. You know, all the design, that kind of stuff. Incredible. But it's felt down to a character, a character piece. Right. Well, so let me let me bring up we had talked about a long time ago in our Gretel and Hansel episode eons ago, talking about the Brothers Grimm and how their stories sort of changed over time, because originally they were just scholars recounting folk tales in 1812. And then by the end, by the child friendly seventh edition in 1857, we had talked about how the mother of Hansel and Gretel had been changed to the stepmother and how there had been you know, changes over time to create appropriate morality for children. Right. Similarly, interestingly, that Maleficent became a thing. Uh, The spinster who pricks Aurora's finger and causes her to sleep is completely ignorant of the curse. It's not Maleficent, the bad fairy Uh witch woman. So that's one element of it is the female villain. And then the other part that this also takes from, which I kind of wanted to get into, is the mad woman character archetype, which is also another sort of bad woman literature story. The big one, Rochester's wife in Jane Eyre, who who she's locked in the attic by her husband, which I think we've mentioned a couple times before. But the kind of way of making female villains, interestingly, appearing a lot in women's Victorian literature, depicting women as crazy people, is the easy way to make them the villain. Because they're either an angel, way to discredit a woman. I mean, right, right, right. Either an <laughs> angel or a monster. Yeah, yeah. And also Ophelia in Hamlet, which we talked about with our Lion King thing. Mm. So historically, then the villain is not just what they do, but it's also something that they are alongside of that. And for women, for the most part, if they prioritize careers, personal ambitions over family, domesticity, like. They're lacking the female qualities, and that's what makes them evil because they're not going into Mm. those paradigms. So Snow White's Mm -hmm. evil queen, Cinderella's evil stepmother, Ursula the sea witch, they're also all seeking Mm. societally female attributes. They're jealous of youth or beauty, like the evil stepmother, social standing, all of these things factor in. And even as we talked about the original 101 book, this has this as well, this air of domesticity, because all of the good female characters, quote, good, you know, the dogs, Mm -hmm. the ladies, the, 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 the maids, they all either want babies or are nannies, or it's all revolving around being in the house and having some progeny after you. And even in the Glenn Close version from the nineties, she says, puppies, darling, I've no use for babies. Like she chastises (laughs) Anita for wanting to get married. All of that is put into this sort of villainous subtext of female villainy and the cultural perception of women's 
virtue the woman or who goes against the drain purity yeah. Yeah. or yeah that kind of thing or even talking about like women's purity and virtue like th there yeah. was kind of yeah. a prejudice in the fact that like a woman who did commit a crime was tricked or led by bad men was not her mm -hmm. moral no, choice couldn't be of her own right. moral choice right. Gosh. right so cruella i feel like in the original book even though it has those societal cultural layers she's unabashed in not pursuing those things she's just bad in a two-dimensional way if she just wants to kill puppies right in the original book so this is kind of the critique she doesn't care how to get fur i need fur i, do, I love fur <laughs> yeah it comes on that kill it give it to me it does it you know yeah but even like with her having her husband take her name like that was also a part of the like ooh, right. she's a, you know going against the grain yeah some of that stuff but so some of the critique of this film and then other things that are going along with it Maleficent in 2014, that was also where right. it gets rewrited, that it wasn't actually her turning evil. It was this guy who did this to her, and she's just trying to get it back. Right. And then similar stuff, Wicked, the Wicked Witch, the musical, she's framed. It's, she's not right. actually wicked. Yes. There's accidents that she causes. But let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. The remakes of that also misdeeds yeah, due to her right. trauma, her past abuse. So it kind of does the villain a disservice to have been tragically misunderstood, like you said, and they're actually good all along. In their own mind, but that doesn't change the morality of the situation. <laughs> right, 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 right. And this, these origin stories sort of change that. So it's interesting, they're not going to do this with Jafar. They're not going to, I mean, mm. they did it with the Joker and Darth Vader, but those are both cautionary tales and they're still not morally correct in right. what they're doing. This drew into a big nature versus nurture conversation to me because the Baroness is every bit Corella as we could describe what you think Corella is before we talk about the history and all that stuff. She, the Baroness is it, if not worse. And she, <laughs> right. she, you know, she she's she's leading up to this whole thing culminates in she will kill Corella. Mm -hmm. You know, it's you or me. I choose me is what she says. So, whoa. OK, so the Baroness is willing to kill it is all kind of explained away in both. If they're, if this is a mother daughter story, their misdeeds and their mistakes are explained away with a mental illness. I mean, it's really, it's really distilled down to that. The Butler explains that he was told to get rid of, of you as soon as you were born, told to get rid of you because the Baroness is sick. And that's basically how they say it. Right. Corella calls her a psychopath, but for that to be true, she is a site. I mean, she is exhibiting all these same characteristics. Corella is not Estella and she is split down the middle as yeah. such. She has a split personality. What we're talking about here in the character that they have really depicted is a split personality. Well, and Whether this has been done as well, talking about like a lot of people find themselves in villains because villains are the parts of us that we're not, you know, that we don't see in the heroes that, that are not involved in or are not parts of ourselves that we're able to They're see. They're wrapped up that they can't see the whole situation. Mm -hmm. That's often what you're ended up with at the end of the arc of the villain is left with, what well, oh, I see now <laughs> right. after the fact, yeah. you know? So it's interesting that we're having these origin stories of villains sort of doing a postmodern, well, they didn't actually know and it isn't their fault. They were consumed by their own world. But the but the but this movie ends as that being the new reality. I don't know. I don't know what it's saying. <laughs> well, and I think you know, this, this when is... It comes down to what it's saying about morality here. I think it's really gray. When it, you know, Back to our, our conversation, it's like, do, do, do women villains have the, the ability to choose 
their, their morality? Can they make mistakes on purpose? And I would say that this film says no. This film says <laughs> right. she is it's a awful. product directly of her mother. She is her mother. Yeah. She never had a choice. And she basically comes to say this by the end of the film is that she, Corella is, is, is the real me. This has always been the me that I've been pushing down. Estella was the one that, that, that society wanted and everybody wanted me to be, but that's never been who I was. Right. She's saying she never had a choice. She was Corella. Walking this morality line back into a corner on this character is very, very interesting to me. <laughs> well, and this is kind of the, the end sort of point of villains is like, is the mystique of the unknown the end unto itself? Like, is the allure the fact that her name is Cruel Devil, an unredemptive part of us? Right. That is what she is showing. And to know, oh, well, her mom did this and she actually has this and all this stuff is an interesting right. question, specifically as it relates to female villains as well. Because it's almost like you're trying to counter the societal narrative of, oh, she has many facets but the facets that you're giving her are feeding into the narrative of she's not making a choice. The crux of the villain is being consumed by your own narrative that you forget to see the reality that you're actually living in with everyone else, that they, they, they've gone too far and now they see and it's too late. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't have that when the movie ends going off. Oh, she won, you know, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it doesn't yeah. serve. I, I don't understand. You know, she can't be the hero. She is the villain. And it is. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, yeah. it, it's and so, it's Disney, it's, it's too. It's just interesting that they, that, and this is a trend that we've seen. I mean, mm -hmm. Joker, all the Maleficent, all of these is, is really deconstructing the villain. Um, but at some point, you know, if they win and they go too far, nobody's there to show them how bad it is because they're on top. Yeah. It's just, it's very. And that's not a Disney movie, so they can't make right, Exactly. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, so bizarre. Disney put out Joker, you know, like that's what they have done. Or tried to do, yeah. Yes. But it didn't, yeah. So, You're, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Are we wrong? Fight with us on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. I, You know, I, I we could be way off base here. What do we know about women, Taylor? I don't uh, know. <laughs> but, yeah. These are the critiques. These are the questions and comments. It's interesting that there was a book. They've tried oh, this. They've tried it again. I honestly had no idea there was so much. And I did not really realize that it saved Disney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Will people it get really did. will people get sick of no the villain's actually the good person, or do we like our villains because they're bad? Right. And I, it's a piece I of us. have a great appreciation for a story who knows how to use its pieces, man, and what they are good for mm -hmm. and use them for their, their full extent. I don't know. Are we wrong? Fight with <laughs> us on Instagram. <laughs> At Illiterate Pod, as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you guys so much. This has been a blast. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. Let us know what you're into. Let us know what you're excited for. Let us know what you're reading. And let us know what you thought about Corella. Reach out. Uh, we'll speak at you next week. See you then.